I mean, there's an issue in the culture of policing. And again, I come from a family of, of law enforcement. So, you know, I'm, I'm pro-law enforcement, but I'm also pro-justice. And justice demands that if you break the law, whether you law enforcement or citizen, you should be held accountable. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now, streaming live. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. It's an honor for me to have uh, my friend, former classmate from the University of Cincinnati, Gerald Griggs, who is now a freedom fighter and uh, an advocate for civil rights for all. Gerald, how you doing, brother? I'm doing pretty good, man. It's good to see you. Good to be back with a fellow Bearcat. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You're, you, you, you're down there in Georgia, and Georgia is the center of the political universe in the United States right now. You have two uh, Republican senators that are currently in office right now, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffner, who are running against John Ossoff and uh, Reverend, Reverend Warnock, who are challenging them, uh, who, who, who will hopefully win. But a whole lot really remains in the balance, because if you can't, we all know if you don't have the Senate, uh, Barack Obama was the president and should have had the, the the pick of the Supreme Court, but because he didn't have the uh, because he didn't have the Senate, the Senate uh, for the first time in history didn't even allow consideration. So we know we know what's going to happen. We know that even e- even though you have Joe Biden and uh, uh, President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, who may want to do some things that will help Black people, that will be more progressive, they can do nothing, zero zilch, unless they have the Senate. And we know right now, right, is that and, and so we're talking about for the Senate, it's about if black lives are going to matter. It's about if we're going to get access to health care. It's about if there's a chance to have meaningful police accountability reform. All those things are a non-starter with the Republican Senate. They've made that clear. They made that clear with their agenda. So all of that is on the line. And that's why Georgia is so important. But I want to get to all that. And I want to, I want to get to some career background so you can know more about Gerald. If you don't, he's pretty well known really across the country at this point, uh, an influencer, an activist, and he's been, he's been on the ground doing a whole lot. But uh, Jared, I want to start, you know, you've, you've spent time here in Cincinnati, Ohio, when you went to law school here. And when you were here, uh, Ohio was considered a swing state and the election was, all the elections were very close here in Ohio. Uh, now, not so much. And all of a sudden, Georgia is the swing state of swing states right now, which a lot of people nationwide didn't see, but I know you've been on the ground and you've seen this coming for a while. Tell us how we got here to this point where Georgia is now a swing state and really the really the center point of the political spectrum in the United States. Yeah, I think that, um, one, thank you for having me on the platform. It's great to be with you. Um, but I think that we've done a lot of organizing in Georgia over the last 16 years uh, since I was up in Cincinnati. And I think that because of the work of, uh, of black people, particularly black women, uh, organizing the folks on the ground, getting people registered to vote, uh, making sure that people understood uh, the political uh, conversation that's happening nationwide, but particularly in Georgia, we were able to change the conversation. And I think that many states around the, the country can take this model and use this model. Uh, we created new organizations that engaged uh, the voters. We re uh, reinvigorated older uh, legacy organizations to be more younger and progressive and, and forward-looking. So it was a combination of things, and then it helped that we are the birthplace of civil rights. Uh, so all of those things uh, convened uh, back in actually 2018 uh, with the first gubernatorial race 
uh, by Stacey Abrams. Uh, and then, of course, in 2020, we were prepared. But we've been doing this work for 16 years. It's nothing novel. It's nothing magical. It's getting on the ground, knocking doors, talking to people, addressing issues and making sure people understand the importance of the electoral process. So I think it may have shocked the world, uh, but it didn't shock Georgia's one bit. And we're going to get people back out for this race on January the 5th. We're already knocking doors. We're doing contactless canvassing. We're doing texting. Uh, we're doing phone banking. Uh, we're going to get people back out. I mean, so many organizations on the ground. And now with the national spotlight, we have more national organizations coming in. But they need to remember uh, that Georgia knows how to turn people out in this election. They need to listen to Georgia organizers, starting with the NAACP, the Urban League, Black Voters Matter, of course, uh, New Georgia Project, Fair Fight and Fair Count, and so many others, countless other uh, groups that are doing this work and have been doing it for for a long time, yeah, definitely. So you, you guys are to be definitely commended, and 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 the, and the fact you said is not is not novel. I like to say this with with politics and and in life, things are simple but not easy. So it's simple in terms of what needs to be done, and and the and the and the playbook is there. It's just not easy in terms of making it happen. A lot of times people say they want to do this but then they don't put the resources into actually doing it. They say they wanna make sure voters are more engaged. And specifically, we're talking about black voters right now, but then they put nothing into the infrastructure of actually uh, investing in those voters, except for just trying to two months before an election, four weeks before an election, come out, vote, with no type of infrastructure built in terms of uh, engaging them in the process in the long run. I want, to, I want you to speak to that specifically about why that's important and what you guys are doing to do that to build a relational uh, type of uh, foundation versus you vote for us a transaction we see you here when we come to an election we're going to come and speak and then we're going to go away like how do you guys how did you guys get to building that and getting getting past that kind of just a transaction point versus actually a long-term investment well what we did you know 2015 2016 when we started seeing the re, uh, reinvigoration of black lives matter we held numerous protests numerous marches and we started educating people on how all politics is local so they started showing up uh, city council meetings county commission meetings and we just continued that that organizing whether it was black uh, black lives matter organizing whether it's NAACP organizing we were touching uh, the people where they are. And they were asking, well, how do we fix these things? How do we fix infrastructure? How do we fix uh, the issues that are going on in our community? We showed them, you gotta be engaged. And so it just carried over uh, from a regional conversation to a state level conversation. And we started going into communities where politicians simply did not go. There were many times we were knocking doors in communities and they were like, you the first person to ever come down here and have a conversation with us. We wanna have a conversation and you build that conversation. And then it builds on platforms like this where they know your work. They know what you are doing. They know that you feed people. They know that you make sure that people's rights are protected. They know that you make sure that people have access to the franchise, not just in you know, presidential elections or, or senatorial elections, but in local elections. And then they yeah. see you holding local elected officials accountable. I think in our community, the biggest uh, pushback we have is, okay, people show up every two or four years telling us, oh, we need to vote. And then when we go vote, we see nothing changes. And so we had to be on the forefront of saying, okay, see, you know, you want to close the city jail. Well, this is how you close the city jail. You want to decriminalize marijuana. Well, this is how you decriminalize marijuana. 
oh, you want to close the ICE detention centers. Here's how you close the ICE detention centers. And they, they start building um, this political capital with them, um, this, this trust. And then they start showing up consistently. And so I think that's what we did. We engaged people where they are. We told them the truth. We said, you know, some of the politicians are lying to you. We're going to hold that person accountable. We're going to vote them out like we did in Glenn County uh, after our dear brother Mark was gunned down. And then we come back down and we say, we're going to continue to engage with you. We're going to share our, our, our phone numbers. We're going to be available on social media whenever you need us. We're down there. I think that's what needs to happen. Yeah, you made a lot of good happened points. In Georgia. Uh, you made a lot of good points I, I really want to touch on. Um, you said this earlier, the fact that there were new organizations, but you also built upon the foundation of traditional organizations. You're the vice president of the NAACP in Atlanta, right? That's right. Correct. And so, you know, you, you know, my background there, I started the first college chapter at the University of Cincinnati. My father just exited the, as the local president here in Cincinnati. But I think when you hear folks, when they talk about what they need to do, the frustrating, it can be frustrating. It can be very, to some of the, uh, Older organizations are slower to evolve, including the NAACP and others. But having involvement, tell people, listen, you get in there and you work to make that change. You work to make that change. You work. To, you have done that and you've responded in a way that's helped uh, move the organization in terms of using the assets that we have now to communicate with people. The foundation is the same. You got to reach out to people. You got to touch people. Social media doesn't replace that, but it is another avenue to extend your communication, to extend those lines. And knowing how to do that and being and being receptive is really really important. So, uh, I do think you can you could be a model for other NAACPs as well to make sure that they're, that they're more responsive and more innovative to the times, um, and not just NAACP, Urban League, everybody else. I mean, we have to be responsive for the moment. Um, but then you talk about the fact that <clears throat> you were reaching out to people, engaging them for the long term, and letting them know. Like you said, all politics is all politics is local. We, we focus, and I think, and I'm saying we, the Democratic Party in general, and I'm not talking for the Democratic Party, I'm talking about what's best for people, and particularly for Black folks I'm talking right now. Uh, long term, we have to be engaged in the long term of the process, all the way. Because locally, is, is more important. I've said it often, who's your, pro your prosecutor is more important than who your president is. Your mm -hmm. prosecutor has tremendous amounts of power to bring a case, to, to hold somebody, to, to send them to jail, to not send them to jail to hold police accountable when they get out of line. Uh, and we know that prosecutors are often gone unchecked. There's all, there's, there's all types of races where they don't even, they're not even challenged. So when, when people talk about the system being unfair, one avenue is voting it's, and it's the entry point, but like that's one. Accountability and follow-up is another and really walking people through this process is so key. So let's actually talk about some, um, I wanna talk about some key issues going on right now as we really talk, I wanna talk about police accountability as I'm sure you know, Casey, uh, Casey uh, Goodson here was uh, uh, walking into his house and he was shot and killed uh, by police here in, in uh, Columbus. He was uh, a law-abiding citizen. He had a concealed carry. From what I understand, he was teaching other uh, Black folks the importance of having concealed carry, which I agree with having, by the way, in the state. And we should, but but it seems like that the, the right uh, the right of the Second Amendment doesn't always usually doesn't extend in practice to black people. It's a different, it's a different level of enforcement. We, we get enforced and assume that we're criminals. And I know in your area, Vincent Truitt, who, if, I, if I'm correct, uh, you're on that case. Yeah, and um, 
he was killed 149 days ago, and the family uh, is still waiting on seeing the tape and, 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 uh, and getting feedback on what's happening. Talk, talk about what's happening on the ground, and then I want to have a conversation about connecting to why that matters uh, about what's going on in the Senate. But talk to us about the Vincent case, about yeah, what's yeah. going on in the ground, and why people need to know about this and what we need to do about it and how we can help, frankly. Okay, yeah, Vincent Truett was 17 years old. Uh, he was riding in a car that was reported stolen. The car uh, was stopped by law enforcement. The driver exited the vehicle and ran, and Vincent got out of the vehicle and took two, three steps uh, while exiting the vehicle and was shot in his back uh, twice by a Cobb County police officer. This happened uh, back on July the 13th of 2020, and we've been trying to get justice ever since then. Like you said, 149 days and the family still has no justice. They have seen the video and the video has not been released. The video is very damaging to law enforcement. It clearly shows that Vincent was not a threat. Vincent didn't brandish a gun. Uh, Vincent didn't do anything threatening to the police officer. And so he was killed and the family wants the officer named, the officer terminated and the officer charged. But currently Cobb County has refused to do any of those three things and have issued three conflicting statements uh, that go against the evidence that we've seen in this case. So we want people to lift up the name of Vincent Truitt, share his story on all social platforms and demand justice from the Cobb County District Attorney uh, because it's past time for justice in this case. The officer needs to be charged. Uh, he needs to be terminated. Uh, and Cobb County needs to be held accountable for these actions. And, you know, my heart goes out to the Goodson family uh, up in Columbus, Ohio. Or if you remember when I was in Cincinnati, we had the, the racial unrest because of police involved shootings. And that was in yes. 2001. And it appears that nothing has changed around the country. And I think the main issue is that lawyers need to step up to the forefront and we need to change some laws. You know, I have the pleasure of now working with one of the architects of the civil rights movement, civil rights legislation, that's Fred Gray. And, you know, Fred uh, was influential in changing many, many uh, Supreme Court precedents. And that's what needs to happen in this case. Uh, Graham versus Connor is a seminal case, 1989 case, that gives the police officers the reasonable objective standard. It needs to be changed. We need to litigate yeah. this all the way up. We also need to pass, and this goes into why the Senate race is important. We need to pass the George Floyd police reform bill uh, because po uh, policing has not been reformed since the 40s. Uh, the rules and laws around policing and policy well, have been changed. And, and Gerald, before you go there, I just want to make one one quick point about uh, Casey Goodson and the family. And his case, it seems to be uh, when you when you compare it to your case, people like to get into this. Oh, well, uh, did he break the law? That's not relevant. You know, rather, rather Casey Goodson. And it doesn't look like he broke the law at all. He did nothing wrong but walk into his house. Mm -hmm. But let's take the Vincent case. Even if the car was stolen. Even if he did something criminally wrong, he doesn't deserve to die and get shot in the back. You know, police can always find ways to de-escalate, uh, but it seems like it's nearly impossible when it comes to black men, black women, sometimes Latino men and Latino women, I should say as well. So we have an issue here that it, it, it's, it's about a culture, I think, of policing. I'm not, we need to change the culture of policing. I'm, there's the plenty of good officers. That's not an argument I'm making. Here's the problem. The bad officers aren't held accountable. And the culture is as such that they're allowed to move forward, keep their job, move to another job. That is what we are trying to change. And that is what has to change. And the only way to do that is uh, through the courts 
and also through political pressure. Now, go ahead, go forward. Yeah, and so that's why it's important, these the Senate raids, uh, because they have several bills that are sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk that will address these issues, uh, but they won't get a vote if we don't change uh, the Senate. So that's why it's important, uh, the raids for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, and in my capacity, just as a regular citizen uh, and an attorney, I support both of them, uh, because if we are successful uh, in um, flipping uh, those two seats, we will have a majority in the Senate and now be able to pass legislation that will fix this problem. You know, as Rob just said, I mean, there's an issue in the culture of policing. And again, I come from a family of, of law enforcement. So, you know, I'm, I'm pro-law enforcement, but I'm also pro-justice. And justice demands that if you break the law, whether you law enforcement or citizen, you should be held accountable. And that's all we're talking about. We're not talking about the, you know, the, the thousands of good police officers. We're talking about the bad officers uh, that give a bad name to those police officers, as well as to justice and to society. So, you know, whether it's Vincent Truitt or, or Mr. Goodson or, or, or Mike Brown or, or, or um, uh, Eric Garner or Laquan McDonald or Jimmy Atchison or Oscar Kane, these families deserve justice. And so just like what happened in Breonna Taylor's case, they deserve justice. I mean, it's atrocious for a woman to be in her house doing nothing wrong and be uh, assassinated and nobody held accountable except for the stray bullets that hit her neighbor's house. Which I mean, this is the type of, of ludicrous actions that are happening across this country. And the reason why is because we have not changed the law. It's time to change the law. That's why it's important to have icons like Fred Gray teach the next generation of lawyers how exactly you go from a Supreme Court precedent that needs to be changed to actually changing it. Um, so the Senate race is important. We need legislation on that end. Uh, we need litigation to get all the way up to the Supreme Court to change the precedent. And we need politicians to have the courage and temerity to call out law enforcement. Yeah. They violate it's, it's, brother, it's hard, it's hard to do, right? It's hard to do. It's again, simple, but not easy because you know, the, you know, the machine that's on the ground, but, um, uh, people are, are more responsive than money and any machine, but people have to be engaged and it's more work. This is why we have to have people there for the long run, because no matter what, you know, the lobbyists on the ground are going to be there and they're going to set the narrative, which I, which I really want to talk about. But before we get to the narrative, I want to just really connect this point about judges and why it's so important for the long term for justice. You look at the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendment. I'm just going to go really a brief, really brief, brief history here. 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment were all designed essentially to help to make sure African-Americans were empowered. They were enfranchised. They, were, they would be part of uh, the United States as citizens. That was, design, that was the original design. It took a constitutional amendment, which is extraordinary. All the states had to pass it, so on and so forth. Went, the, went through the House, the Senate, and the president. Every single level of government had to approve it. However, who the, the Supreme Court, because there was a Supreme Court that decided the laws to, to apply the laws in such a way where they essentially didn't give us any rights, that was all reversed and we had a hundred years of oppressive Jim Crow. So when people talk about why judges are so important, this is what I know. You got a judge that was just appointed, Amy, Col uh, Amy Col Comey Barrett, and she decided a case uh, that actually reversed money going to a family who, who had, uh, who, who, which, which a police officer killed a man. It was a horrible fax and she decided that, oh, well, she, that, that, that the family who suffered from that injustice didn't deserve to get that money. Uh, when you have judges that don't have that perspective, don't understand, uh, they can make tremendous changes in the law. And, and Gerald, I really think 
there hasn't been enough emphasis by progressives or Democrats or whatever people call themselves that are trying to make sure we get good judges there on why judges are so important. And, and it's something that we really take for granted. So, and if we don't win the Senate, uh, the Senate approves judges going through and those judges stay for life. We know that uh, Mitch McConnell will, will allow as few as judges as possible, if any. So that matters. And we have to make sure people understand the connection, the connection to the type of judges that Republicans want to do right now. The type of judges they want is judges that don't, don't care about civil rights, don't care about the Fourth Amendment, don't care about when your rights are violated. I love to be proven otherwise. I would love to have a party that uh, I, I love to have Republicans get judges that were fairer and more representative, but that's not what we have right now. Yeah. And so I think people people need to understand the process, political process, the the the, the president, uh, he, he selects the judges and then he has to get the approval and consent of the Senate uh, to confirm a judge and a federal judge is appointed for life. And so whether that's uh, the trial level judges, uh, the court of appeals level judges or the Supreme Court. And so that's why it's so important. It's so vastly important that we make sure uh, that we have uh, control of the Senate, because, again, Mitch McConnell would not even bring to the floor uh, Obama uh, uh, consented judges uh, to, to see if they would be uh, nominated. Merrick Garland was uh, nominated to be uh, replace uh, Supreme Court justice, and he never got a vote. But yet you have uh, Kavanaugh and you have, of course, Amy Coney Barrett and, and, and one other that were appointed by this president. And so, you know, we have to make sure that we are uh, understanding of what that means. Judges uh, interpret the law. And so in being able to interpret the law, they can read the law whichever way they believe that it's it's written. Um, and, you know, many conservatives say, well, you know, we don't need any activist judges. Well, I think Amy Comey Barrett was being an activist judge when she overturned uh, um, that 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 decision. So I think we need to be real concerned and, and focused on this Senate race because it will determine the balance of power for the next six years and whether or not who are the next two, because they're gonna be at least two more Supreme Court justices yep. uh, in this particular term uh, of this president. I believe that Clarence Thomas is almost to that point uh, where he may ride off into the sunset by you know, retiring or, you know, but hopefully he's of good health, but he's getting old. And, and you know, uh, Justice Breyer, I believe would be probably be next. So we have to keep an eye on that. Right now, there's a conservative, leaning bench at the Supreme Court level. And so we have to keep an eye on that. And that's why this, this election is so important. If the two Senate seats in Georgia turn and flip to Democrat, you would have a 50-50 split and Kamala Harris would be able to uh, cast the deciding vote. And thus the Democrats would have control of the Senate and be yeah. able to get through the George Floyd uh, policing bill. They'd be able to get through the John Lewis Civil Rights Act, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which would re-empower the Voting Rights Act, which right. was gutted by a Supreme Court decision, uh, Shelby County versus Holder, which gutted the, the, the Voting Rights Act. So, yeah. I mean, these are all important things that are happening politically that we have to be aware of. Let me say this, and then I want to talk about the current environment on the ground and, and, and the messaging you're hearing from both sides. I believe it's fundamentally important that if uh, they're able to win these two Senate seats. And, and, and I believe people understand the importance in Georgia nationwide. I think we have a great shot. I think it's likely to happen, assuming we can keep the same amount of energy. People uh, don't take anything for granted. 
if that happens, I think the next part is that there is accountability from us on the ground in terms of what, what needs to happen uh, from the administration is that there has to be a push to do some things that are, that are forward thinking uh, and to understand that you're not going to get cooperation out of the Republican Party. Like we, they don't even acknowledge that Joe Biden is the president, even though it's <laughs> clear he's the president. He's been he's won Georgia 10 times. He's won Michigan 20 times. I mean, no matter how you shape it, you could take away one state. You could take away two. Joe Biden has been the president elect, is the president elect. But there's still a lot of people in the in, in, in the Republican Party and some of the voters that do not accept reality. Now, we know the Supreme Court just said, no, we got nothing for you. But that's not being run on on the news media, uh, on the right on, on the media that a lot of people who want to believe that listen to. So they're not going to they're not going to acknowledge that. So I don't expect them to be cooperative. I hope they will be. But I'm but I also I'm like my I'm like my Angelo. When you show me who you are, I believe you the first time. It doesn't take me 50 times. So I do think that they're going to have to do something like get rid of the filibuster in order to do some of these things to do something real to, to do something really impactful because I don't expect to get 60 votes in the Senate to do anything. I just don't. May, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I think we need to put the pressure that we don't expect. We don't think there can be a, a uh, reset. I don't think a reset is possible in this current environment. Uh, I would like to be wrong, but given what I've seen, I mean, I don't think I am. What's your thoughts on that? I just think we have to remember that 81 million people voted. And, you know, 81 is more than 74. And even though in this toxic political environment where you have, you know, conservative media outlets spinning uh, the truth into some type of fairy tale, the Supreme Court was alternate universe, clear. man. Yeah, they, they were quite clear in, in dismissing the president's argument on reversing uh, Pennsylvania. I mean, they issued a one sentence opinion, one sentence by uh, Justice Alito. And it was unanimous. It would dismiss, deny. Yeah. And so, you know, even with this ludicrous lawsuit that's been filed uh, by the Texas attorney general against the four swing states, which will be summarily dismissed as well. We have to realize as the mon majority, the majority of the people, the majority of people voted for Joe Biden. And so it's time for us to flex our muscle. You know, listen, we went through four years of everything being rammed down our throats and being told that. Elections have consequences. Yep. Well, it's time for them to learn that elections have consequences. And so if they don't want to play um, by the rules that they set, um, then maybe we need to, you know, get a little stronger and, and do some things that will protect the majority of Americans because the majority of Americans want freedom for everybody. The yeah. majority of Americans want everybody to have access to the franchise and everybody's voice to be heard. It's a small, very loud minority that seems to believe that by giving minorities and women and, and people that love a little different and people with disabilities access to power, it's going to threaten their way of life, which is absolutely not true. I think what black people are saying is this. We want y'all to stop killing us. We want y'all to stop poisoning us. We want y'all to stop uh, taking funding away from us. We just want to live. Why is that such a hard thing to realize? Why do you have to suppress our vote? because you can't get us to get on board with your regressive policies. These it's been the same struggle for a long time though, right? This has been yeah. the issue every time there's been progression by black people and other people of color, there's also there's been, been a fight against that. Yeah. Right, there's been regression and we, you know, and so we have to keep, we, to your point, Gerald, we have to stay vigilant in the process 
because there will always be people that that see the advancement of others as a threat to them. That's not true, but that's how people sometimes see it. They see it as a finite amount of resources, a finite game. And, uh, and, and if you advance, that means there's something being taken away from me instead of actually growing the pie. So when you look at the, the rhetoric, this is what I want to get to, which I think is really important. The right wing rhetoric right now is, is propaganda more like. It is more like Russian propaganda in that it, is, it doesn't matter if it's tied to anything that's consistent. It's rapid. It's repetitive. It's overwhelming people. And people believe it. People believe it so much that they were willing, like there are people that are protesting in Michigan for people voting. They are angry yeah. about the results of, they're angry about reality and voters. Because, and the part I have the problem with, Gerald, is that you have mainstream leaders and politicians embracing these wild, crazy theories based in nothingness. They're not even, there's not, they're not even rooted in any type of fact. It's not spin, it's complete propaganda. And, and why this is dangerous and why we need to understand it is that they are being told, they are being programmed that anybody that thinks differently from them is evil. Anybody that is not for these policies is evil. Or, you know, or they sometimes try to couch it in better language. And, and I'm going to talk about what, what, the, what the talking points there are all the time, right? Everybody that's a Democrat is a, is a liberal, radical socialist. That's everybody, right? Yeah, that's everybody. And they're coming to change, they take, they're, they're, they're coming to change, your, change the way America yeah, they is. Don't take away, I want to know what that means. America. Yeah. And so I think what people need to understand, you got to study history. You got to understand that this has been done before. They call Dr. King a, a radical socialist. So, yep. I mean, I don't really care what you call me. What I care about is the fact that there are good people who are sitting back allowing this to happen. And so we have to remember the silence of our friends speaks louder uh, than the noise of our opponents. If you are a good person, and you believe that you know individuals in the civil rights movement were right to, to make sure they protest to get rights. We're in the same movement right now. So if you said you would have marched with Dr. King, you're not marching with us, you wouldn't have marched with Dr. King. It's yeah. just quite simple. You know, they called him a communist, a socialist, and he was the most hated person in America when he was alive. Yep. Now we've, we have deified him, but the same things he was fighting for then, we are fighting for now. So how all of a sudden, these most fundamental of American rights are now radical liberal socialism. I don't, I don't know, maybe having health care, that's radical. Maybe having voting rights, that's radical. Maybe the police not being brutal, that's radical. Well, then I guess we might be radical. Uh, and, and so I really don't care what you say. I want you to understand that we're not going backwards because we have a great cloud of, of witnesses before us that said, okay, when they start doing this, you do that. Yep. So we're prepared for this. And what they don't understand is this. There are more young people than there are old people. This is the same rhetoric from the same people who were alive in the 50s and the 60s. And I look at the, the uh, political maturation of one person as an example of what's going to happen to these people. George Wallace in Alabama, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Remember that? Yeah, I do. By the way, George Wallace is tied to my family. He, he, my, my uh, cousin was was one of the first to go to Alabama University. He was the one blocking her, and you know, uh, exactly. And, and Vivian Malone, so, and of course, the, the order was reversed on him. So yeah, exactly. I, I, so, I appreciate the George Wallace reference. Yeah. So during that period, 
became the most progressive time in Alabama history. Why? Because people were fighting against George Wallace. And yeah. at the end, George Wallace had to realize I was wrong. So if you still spewing the same talking points as George Wallace, you are going to lose. So yeah. it, it's only a matter of time. So whether you're listening to Rush Limbaugh or you're listening to uh, Bannon or you're listening to, I don't know, Stephen Miller, you're going to lose. So you might as well get on the right side of history. So let's get on the right side of history. Let's make sure that we give rights to the people that deserve to have rights, uh, you know, the oppressed people. Yeah. And let's stop with this propaganda. Tucker Carlson, you need to stop with the propaganda. That's why your ratings are starting to fail. And, and yep. again, you lost the election. The election is over. We've actually moved on to the next election. We're <laughs> focused on January the 5th. You, yeah. can, let, let, you can litigate uh, the November election, all you want. You're going right. to continue to lose. But I'm gonna, I'll, focus you, on made, you made a great point on that, if I can, with you, Gerald, because you made a really good point that I want to make sure the listeners and the audience understand and see. Uh, Fox News in particular has been guilty of setting up these false narratives. They've been doing it for a long time, making up stuff about Obama, that he was from another country, just putting up these wild, crazy theories that Initially, they actually rejected, but then when their audience started liking it and seeing it, they just let it kind of flow. And then the propaganda has grown. Now it's grown to such a point that they can't control it. They've created an alternate universe and they're losing ratings because there's only, they got to have, I mean, there's people that are willing to go crazier than you are. So now there's other networks, other, other social medias that are willing to entertain this, this Frankenstein, that, this Frankenstein that they have helped create. And, you know, and this is the issue. And so now we have people that are alternating in an alternative universe where they can be fed perceptions that look like realities to them. And yeah. so we have to understand what's at threat. So you're right. They're going to lose. I will, I will put it if and as long as we continue to remain vigilant because we know well, we got to we got to remain, we gotta remain vigilant. vigilant because, you know, racism and this rhetoric keeps finding a way to make its way back. And our goal is, yes, they're going to lose. We're going to throw all this in an abyss and put it away. And yeah, you could have, look, have a conservative party, but your conservative identity should not be tied to uh, my, to, to, to my, to, 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 to my, uh, to me not being a human. Yeah. To your no, you, that's the problem. You know, I mean, here's the thing. You guys were about free market and you were about less government. And, and now that you've lost the government, you're about overturning an election because you thought it was treasonous. Isn't it treasonous to try to overthrow a, a duly elected president? That's what I, I mean, thought. It just makes sense to me. We listen. We didn't try to overthrow Donald Trump. No, nope. we didn't. But he people did, believe we did. But go ahead. People tried to impeach him. It didn't work. Nobody got their guns and ran into capitals and went outside of people's houses and threatened them. Now, y'all may say, oh, well, Black Lives Matter. We're doing this and doing that. I was at most of the Black Lives Matter protests in Atlanta. Nobody had big guns going to people's houses and threaten them at their house. That was not happening. Now, we would have a sit-in. Yes, we would march down the middle of the street and block the highway. Dr. King did that too. But we were not threatening people. You yeah. guys are threatening people. That is not American. It's American to protest. It's not American to try to overthrow something, which is why your Confederate monuments are coming down. Because yep. that was treason. That was really treason. That and really so was treason. I That's what it is. I mean, it's an honor to something else, but it's treason. Yeah, if you look at the history of this country, there have always been patriots who were on the right side of history that made sure this country 
lived up to what it says on paper. And that's what we're doing right now. We're making this country live up to what it says on paper for every American and the millions of people that want to become Americans. Yeah, we're talking to the freedom fighter, Gerald Griggs, who's also a fellow law school uh, classmate of mine from the University of Cincinnati. He's now in Atlanta and he's, um, he's, he's in the middle of the, the epicenter of really the politics and, and the social movement in the United States. Um, and I'm proud of all the work he's doing. As we get ready to conclude, can you just kind of summarize for people why this election is so important in Georgia? And then we're going to get to how they can help. <laughs> this, Ameri- this, this election is, is important in Georgia because it's, it's for the soul of this country. It is to make this country realize that the minorities have a voice and they want to be heard on policy and change and the implementation of freedoms in this country. And so that's why you see African-American women and African-American men and Asian Pacific Islanders and Native Americans and, and, and uh, Hispanic Americans going to the polls in record numbers. This last election in Georgia, five million people voted. There are only seven million people registered, five million people. Wow. And so if Georgia stands up the way I know Georgia can, the country will fundamentally change. And that's important. And for the people that are afraid of that, fundamental change means rights for everybody. So that means all ships and boats rise. You should be for that. That's important. That's what a patriot is about. And, and, you know, I think that at the end of all of this, when we win, you will notice that America will be in a better place. It will not be this toxic environment where everybody's afraid to be to go out of their house because of either one, the virus, or two, racism. And so we got to get to a better place where we can bring people back together as Americans. But the only way we're going to do that is to have true justice. And so this election is about justice. We have two candidates that speak to justice. We have one that is in the mold of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. He is the pastor of Ebenezer. We have another uh, candidate who grew up- Reverend Warnock. Yeah, Reverend Warnock, who grew up right at the knee of a legendary freedom fighter in John Lewis. So we are at the crossroads of the new movement. And trust me, like the old movement, this new movement will win and there will be a new America. So you can help us by donating to the organizations that are on the ground uh, doing this work, whether that's NACA, uh, whether that's New Georgia Project, uh, of course, in a bipartisan effort. And this is me talking in my individual capacity. It's not me talking for the NAACP because they are bipartisan. The only focus they have is getting out uh, black voters. You can give to the NAACP. You can give the Black Voters Matter. You can give to a whole host of organizations that are doing the work on the ground. Don't listen to the commercials. Don't listen to the radio ads. Listen to the people that are actually coming and knocking on your door to tell you we want a new Georgia and we're going to mobilize on early voting, which is December the 14th, all the way up to January the 5th. And on January the 6th, we're going to have another party where the whole world is going to watch us like they did uh, on what was that November the 4th when we were right out there in Freedom, uh, Freedom Park dancing and having a good time because we mobilized the vote. And they're going to be a whole lot of news outlets to say, oh, my God. How did this happen again? We tried to tell you the whole time. We're telling you right now, people are going to mobilize to vote. There's going to be a new Georgia. Yeah, I hear you, brother. Hey, look, um, to summarize your point, and if you want to know what you would have done during slavery, 
if you want to know what you would have done during Jim Crow, what you're doing now is what you would have done. That's what you would have done. And there's always time to do something. Uh, this is one of those clear moments. There's elections are not always clear. Like there's sometimes like, okay, just a little bit difference here, there. These are one of those times where these are defining moments. Uh, the past administration, we don't even have to say that person's name, the, the prior occupant of the White House who will no longer occupy that White House, thank God, thank the Lord, uh, did set an environment where racism was openly accepted. Racism has always been here, but it usually got to a point where when a leader said it and they said something so overt, so hateful, so direct, usually they would they just wouldn't be in power anymore. They would lose. If you look at what happened in 1968 uh, between uh, Lyndon Johnson and Barry Goldwater, who was who was similar, who said very direct racist statements, he got blown out. People expected that to happen with the prior occupant of the White House. That didn't happen. And, and, and instead, he has I hope I hope what he did wasn't was an anomaly, was isolated. But we have to be vigilant. And we know that this rhetoric is here, that there is a. There is, there is something growing there, but there's something growing stronger on the other side. And we are better when we're more inclusive. We are more innovative when we're when more people get opportunities. And that's and that's the message that I believe uh, that those who believe in justice have to move forward. We're not we're not just about what they're against. We're also for a better future for all, and to be a more inclusive society. That makes us a better America, and that helps us, I believe, live up to our ideals. So, Gerald, I want to thank you for the work you're doing on the ground. Uh, from the political work, from the uh, nonpartisan work with the NAACP. Uh, you could have chose just to be a private attorney and just kind of live your life and, and just, uh, you know, hit the payment that way and just keep to yourself. But you put yourself out there. And I know that's not always easy. Um, you can learn more about some of the cases, jailgriggs.com. Uh, we'll also make sure we put that all in the notes. And I just appreciate what you do. And I, and I hope we can stay in touch. We definitely can. Thank you for the platform and, and everybody. You have to be a part of the change. We are stronger together, as Rob just said. In order to make a better America, we have to be inclusive. And that's what this whole thing is about. And so let's make a better America. Make sure that you, if you are registered to vote, that you vote in the upcoming Senate um, race. If you live in another state, please keep talking about the Senate race and talk to somebody in Georgia about the importance of getting out and vote. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother.